Hi, everybody. I'm back with Zeus. And the reason for this is that we have had so many comments coming in from people uh, regarding confusion over COVID. And even though the states are opening up, the countries are opening up, we're trying to get back to life as it, well, I can't say normal, sort of like it was before, it lingers in people's minds. What's going to happen to us in the fall? And what was this thing anyway? So we're going to set that straight so we can prepare ourselves better for whatever may come this coming autumn and for what many people are still dealing with now because there's so much fear around it. So let's go to Citizen Zeus. Hey, Zeus. <laughs> So, so many people are confused. There are so many conspiracies uh, swirling about regarding what COVID is and isn't, what helps it, what doesn't. And the reason I've invited you on is because, I, honestly, I think you've done more research than any person I've encountered on this so far. Um, you've posted full-length videos, and everybody needs to know this, uh, with all of the source links. So you can get up to 40, 50 links on any given video you've done. So I'm considering this an actual resource for people to go to, to be able to share the information with others and make your own decisions. Come to your own educated conclusions about what this is. For now, we're going to do, you know, a 30 to 40 minute, um, just kind of a quick recap on everything that you found, Zeus, uh, right. for the audience. And then again, Refer to the full-length videos on his site, citizenzeus.com, and the links if you want to delve further into any aspect of this. So, first of all, Zeus, big conspiracy, number one conspiracy. Was this natural or was this lab-made? And you have gone down this rabbit hole completely. So, tell us what, from all your research, you've found it to be. Well, I did a, a full-length video on, on it called Hybridizing Harm, which is kind of like a detective story. And what I found uh, with regard to the circumstances, with regard to evidence covering up of the Chinese government, with regard to um, gain-of-function research, which is a particular kind of genetic engineering, which literally implants the ability to infect humans and viruses that wasn't there before, as proven through the University of uh, North Carolina Chapel Hill and the Wuhan Institute of Virology, working together, funded by the American government, um, in research that was so dangerous, it was banned in 2014 on the Obama administration. And then, of all people, Dr. Fauci was the one who uh, essentially allowed it to go on anyway, or grandfathered it under, and then renewed this kind of research back in, I think it was 2017 or 2018, under the Trump administration. So the guy that is the right-hand man, the one that the press is ooing and aahing over, is in large part responsible for this conducting of this gain-of-function research, and all evidence shows that it accidentally um, didn't just escape the lab because the lab had plenty of safety protocol breaches to begin with, and the Beijing lab uh, north of it um, actually uh, started too many SARS epidemics after the initial one because two of the graduate students who worked there got infected and walked out of those labs with the infection. So all signs and indicators are from the cover-up of evidence to the actual gain-of-function research matching up with this virus that it actually is a naturally sourced virus but that was manipulated in a lab. So what is it about it that makes it unique and, and creates um, essentially so much fear because of the array, the whole array of symptoms, not like a normal influenza? 
Exactly. I mean, people should, uh, they started to get the clue when they first thought it was purely a respiratory virus very akin to SARS. SARS is mostly a respiratory virus that attacks the lining of the lungs. Um, it can be communicated very easily. And then they begin to see this unusual clotting. All these microclots just beginning to clog up the lungs of, of patients. They even had, and you and I, I think you talked about it in your Facebook and other things, where literally they were drawing blood out of the body and it was coagulating in the tubes and in the IV lines. Now that is not something a normal virus is going to cause by any means. So, so we what, knew- So what caused that? What, what caused that particular clotting mechanism to happen? Well, what happened is that um, this particular virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus that's involved in, in the COVID-19 syndrome or disease, has imp implanted in it, I think spliced into it, it, it there's no natural mechanism, logical natural mechanism for these glycoproteins or these, these sequences to be essentially spliced, apparently spliced into a SARS virus, okay? Regular SARS virus doesn't act like this. What they found was that in this great article that I saw on medium.com, we could probably supply the link, was they took a SARS backbone, which allowed it to be transmitted easily. If it's not transmitted easily, it's not very successful, right, in terms of spreading. So you need that. And they grafted into it an HIV-like function, glycoprotein, that allowed it to attach to certain receptors to be able to get into cells. Now these receptors called ACE2 receptors allow them to go piggyback or camouflage themselves in the immune system, in, in a system that's supposed to flag potential problems. So now you have this virus piggybacking onto a flagship molecule and receptor that's supposed to say here are some problems. So it's sending out all these signals come together thrombosis, come together immune cells, clotting mechanisms. We got some problems here. Either it's an injured cell or it's a disease. And it just sent this thing called a cytokine storm, all these signals overwhelming the body to just clot, 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 attack anything, attack anything, because its normal signaling mechanism is being screwed up by this virus. So it was an immune and blood disease and part of the virus, the more HIV section of it, the glycoproteins, and the receptor sec section, and it was more of a respiratory virus in the SARS backbone, and there were two additional functions that were in here. One was this thing called a, a lysing, uh, I think it was called fibrin or furin, furin lysing. So there was a, another nucleotide sequence that allowed it to more easily enter a cell, and yet another one that allowed it to burst out of a cell and replicate more often. So there are basically four functions here that were tailor-made to be transmissible, to be able to basically mess with the immune system and confuse it and create this weird clotting to get into a cell, you know, to attach to the cell, that's what the spike proteins are, to get into the cell and also to get out of the cell and to replicate. You're not gonna have that in a normal virus with that, with that many gain of functions coming from basically different kinds of viruses. So it is almost definitely, in my opinion, and I will share that link, a product of engineering. Now they say the reason why they're doing it is to anticipate these kinds of 
viruses in the future. No, no, wait, but that makes no sense. Those yeah. viruses would never happen in the future in real life. They would never happen in nature. So that just makes no sense whatsoever. And it seems to me when you're talking about the efficiency of, the, of how this works cellularly and its, uh, its infection rate, that you're talking about a bioweapon. And I know different people have different thoughts on what it was to be used for, but we know bioweapon uh, development has been in, in the offing for decades. So why right. should we even be remotely surprised that this is a bioweapon that got out of the lab, was taken out of the lab, whatever. The point, point is now it's arrived in our bodies, some mm -hmm. people, maybe right. more than we know. And so let's talk about that. I mean, okay, we can just kind of get into a little tiny bit of the backbone about where some of this stuff came from, and then let's move on to what we do. Okay, that sounds good. Um, I read another article of all, part, uh, of all magazines, Forbes magazines, an excellent article that talks about the shield of this COVID-19 virus versus the shield of an HIV virus. The shield of an HIV is, is, is more complex and more complete. This shield is a little bit more vulnerable, so it's a little bit more amenable to certain kinds of drug therapies, apparently. But if you were to develop a bioweapon, you would want something that wasn't so overwhelming. And, and so you would want something that had an incomplete shield so you could provide the solution to it or the antidote to it. So I think that that's it. I mean, we're, we, we have essentially something being created in which there's a possible way to render it harmless or render it at least a lot less effective um, using a vaccine or using some kind of drug therapy. Dr. William Wong said in the very beginning, he was one of the first people I listened to when it first came out talking about how you break up the cement if it does get in your lungs, if you end up with that thick mucus. But what he said in his interview was they don't create bioweapons without alongside it working on the antidotes because that's how the control mechanisms work together. So what you said may well be true, that if they've created this, the antidote may well be there, which gets us into whole kind of wacky and terrifying conversation and a little bit about vaccines. So go where you were going to go and then we'll get into the vaccines because right. we have a lot of factors here, the contraindications. And, 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 and it doesn't have to be one or the other. You could have yeah. scientific arrogance. You could have even well-meaning naive scientists working on this as well as it being essentially extracted for bio, possible bioweapons purposes. So don't let conspiracy theorists and other people say that that's preposterous. It's not just one thing. It yes. is the whole range of things and the facts that we have to look at or what it's actually doing or what's capable of doing. Anything can be used for several different things, good and bad. We know that. Right. The whole point is who's funding it? What could it be used for? Um, what, you know, does it make much sense to have actually done this kind of research to begin with for normal, healthy human populations? What's the risk? versus a possible reward of anticipating this and creating some kind of antidote. Clearly, most of the scientific community, including the government in the United States in 2014, thought it was way too dangerous. That's the risks way, out any, uh, way outweighed any potential benefit to it. I happen to agree with that. I think this gain of function stuff should be stopped altogether. But in lieu of the fact that it's not stopped, this virus did get out and had, did create a pandemic. Now we're to the point about, now what can we do about it? How can we understand it? What are our possible ways that we can empower ourselves in addressing it? 
Right. So first of all, it, we you touched on it a little bit ago, the whole notion of, is this a respiratory or is this a blood immune problem? And right. it appears that inflammation is at the source of it. Uh, right. You mentioned the cytokine storm, which is extreme inflammation. So let's talk about what in your research so far it actually looks to be. Well, I think it, it at, at even this, it said this in the articles, it said literally most of the people are not dying directly from any kind of lung distress. What they're dying from are the after effects of inflammation and clotting in the lungs that's creating a, 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 an impossibility for exchanging oxygen. If that blood's not flowing around those very small sacs in the lungs and it's very tiny capillaries and everything is clotting up, then it doesn't matter how much ventilator you use to try to stuff oxygen into your body. It's like, like I said, putting your mouth around a fire hose. You're not going to be able to, to you know, and I don't care how, how dehydrated you are, you're not going to be able to, to get the water into your system in a healthy way. So those ventilators are forcing oxygen down into a system that's not capable of handling that kind of volume. And, you know, that they didn't have anything else until they decided to do some blood thinners and found that you could actually buy some time with that. So mainly it is a blood disease, and I would even say a nerve, an immune disease as well as a nerve disease. That HIV-like function that it has is creating these cytokine storms, massive inflammation, massive clotting, and that's what's really killing people. That's at the root of it. That might explain also why uh, some younger people died of other organ failures after being exposed to it. And perhaps why uh, the, the odd instance of people, elderly people in particular, showing no symptoms at all and then just dying, stroking out and dying. Right. Um, so this whole clotting effect you're talking about, that would explain a lot of the anomalous kind of deaths that occurred around it, aside from you know, the more typical respiratory issue. Right, it's not only the clotting, but the inflammation. Inflammation, yeah. It would inflame organs, and if you have a weak organ and you're an old, older, you could be gone in a second. You know, it, it inflamed, I, you know, I'm doing the research, inflaming heart, you know, inflaming kidneys, anything related to the blood system. Right. It, it, and if, you, if one of these is your weak point, it could, it could easily eliminate you or cause really grave, you know, serious condition. So the main point we have to deal with is the immune response, both in terms of the clotting and the inflammatory cytokine storms that are being kicked up by basically having our bodies invaded and our signaling system completely thrown off by this virus. It's really the HIV-like component of this virus over the SARS type that is the more dangerous foundational as a problem here. It sounds like it. Okay, so when we get down to looking at some of the common themes that have come up among uh, Denise Ward and I interviewed, we've all, I've interviewed uh, Compton Rom, many people have interviewed other doctors. What seems to come up is people that have diabetes are particularly vulnerable. Also, people that are vitamin D deficient. Now, when you were doing your research, you found that these two can go hand in hand. So let's right. talk about the blood component of this. Why are people with diabetes what a let's talk about the the vitamin d component and right. its relationship to diabetes and why they're more vulnerable if you have a lack of vitamin d well the vitamin d there's a study that just came out in the last couple of weeks from northwestern university and it found an extraordinary correlation between vitamin d deficiency 
and death associated with COVID. And when you look into the operation of vitamin D, as one doctor put it, it's a negotiator. It doesn't just make things anti-inflammatory because that's what ibuprofen does and to a certain extent, even something like nicotine can do, okay? And is used to treat bowel disease for that reason and other natural forms that CBD can be put in there, cytosine can be put in there. These are more natural derivatives. But what vitamin D does that's unique and really, really kind of miraculous is it, is it acts as a negotiator. It acts as a balancer. It's not an anti-inflammatory or pro-inflammatory. It helps to regulate the buffering and homeostasis of those two. And without that vitamin D, when this, this virus comes in and makes everything go high, haywire, your body is really at a disadvantage. And that, and it's not, vitamin D deficiency is associated with diabetes. It's associated with obesity. It's associated with EMFs, 5G. Uh, <laughs> and you can go right down the line of almost all these kinds of, uh, of things. Uh, and again, I have, I have speculated that adjuvants, those are things that create an inflammatory uh, immune response could be contributing to the death rate. And I think it is. But if you had adequate vitamin D, even if you had those you know, leftovers from these vaccines and so forth, you would be much more, your body would be much more capable of handling it because that's gonna create a balancing effect even when you have something, you know, some real junk in your body. So those are how those things come together. Vitamin D is at the center of every single one of those so-called um, uh, you know, vulnerable conditions or whatever, the predisposing conditions. Yes. And as you know, and I've also, some, a lot of uh, my viewers here know, um, we're in the process of reading the book, uh, The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg, which addresses the electrification in the planet and its correlation to the rise of disease. And mm -hmm. so <clears throat> what's interesting is that uh, we, we've already, I've done reports. I did report, um, with uh, Jim Lee where we touched on it, but we've done other reports on 5G and coming to a neighborhood near you soon if it's not already. And even through the NIH um, articles that we've read, they talk about the cellular damage that's coming with 5G, but mm -hmm. prior to that, the other EMFs that already exist were already causing these disease patterns throughout cultures. And his book, The Invisible Rainbow, does a beautiful job of showing you where you have a rise in diabetes where you have a rise in cancer and heart disease as correlated to massive switch-ons of electricity and in right. particular cell phone technology. And right. so, uh, some people have taken it so far as to say, well, there is no COVID. It's just 5G illness, which it's not just 5G illness. Again, it's all of the above working together. Maybe you can make right. a quick comment on that. Right. Well, again, I would really encourage your audience to, to think in multiple terms. Okay, the more and more factors you have that injure your health and that add up together, the stronger it's going to be a negative response. And, the, and it's also true, the more and more factors you can line up in favor of your own health, in favor of homeostasis and regulation, the better off you're going to be. One thing isn't going to cure everything. One thing is going to create the problems. Okay, when it's a poison or something very obvious, we can kind of say that's it. What's so interesting about this disease, they talk about comorbidities. They talk about factors coming together, okay? And it seems as if this COVID is kind of like a tripwire, right? It, it, when these factors come together, 
they're already predisposing you to be kind of vulnerable and shaky. But this virus comes in, creates this inflammatory response, and everything is disrupted. And if you have these, if you have these grave underlying conditions, yeah, you could say that the COVID-19 virus caused it or is the one that, you know, was the one that actually precipitated the, the, the trip for it, but it was all these factors together that actually caused the death. The way that I look at it, this is, if you have a dam burst and it sweeps your home away and you drown, was your cause of death drowning or was the cause of the dam bursting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a moment ago you were talking about vitamin D and its role where we, we yeah. need to make sure we have sufficient stores of vitamin D, which is an epidemic. Vitamin D deficiency is an yeah. epidemic in this country. Right. It may have to do with electrification. It may have to do with dietary factors, lack of right. going out in the sun, many, many things. But we know that. What about C and zinc? Because those are the other ones that came up commonly uh, to protect the body and keep the immune system strong in the case in case of being exposed to this, I will do that. But let me uh, let me go ahead and summarize all the ways in which D, uh, our lifestyle choices have gotten us to sure. our D deficiency. Because I was looking up South Korea, which did pretty well because it had such a good response to it. But its elderly population, almost none of them do the internet. It's like thirty five percent if you're like seventy or over, and then it jumps up to almost twice that for all the other age groups, okay? So we know that- EMF exposure there. Right, EMF exposure drops your vitamin D level, okay? We also know that people staying indoors, playing with electronics all day, reduces your exposure to the sun, which is a lot of people's main development of vitamin D. It's the ultraviolet light in sun that creates the vitamin D in your system. So you add up all these factors and others, and what you find is this massive around the globe uh, raging deficiency in vitamin D that's actually getting worse and accelerating over the last few years. So vitamin D supplementation, even though it's not clinically proven, they're doing some clinical studies on this, would seem to be indicated because it doesn't, it's not going to hurt. Again, I'm not recommending anything medically, but this is my interpretation of it. Vitamin C, vitamin C has been used in South Korea and high intensive, high concentration intravenous C with apparently great results. Again, not peer-reviewed studies, but we do have, and on my website, I have a couple of links that show that. One's called orthomolecular.com or .org, which demonstrated that these things have been successful in China and have been successful. Zinc and a lot of these other elements, again, they come in to create and mess with the efficacy of the virus. Remember, the virus needs a few things to be successful. It needs to be transmitted. It needs to be able to attach to a cell. Then it needs to enter a cell. Then it needs to get out of the cell and spread. You begin to interrupt any one of those things, and zinc is good at intervening in that whole process. Um, then you're going to have something successful. If you have something interrupting or making the body's response to, to that you know, process, which we normally try to do, prevent it, like 5G, like these other kinds of things that actually create oxidative stress that mess with the body's homeostasis and response mechanisms, then you've got the opposite happening. Okay, so a lot of people say, look, if they would just give it, if we knew A, if there were tests, so we knew whether we had the antibodies and have already had it, because some people experience almost no effects from it at all. Other right. people have died, and usually it's a flu that lasts quite a long time with some a varying degree of symptoms. 
um, in that sense, not just like any other flu, but more or less, you're down for a couple weeks, up to six weeks. And some people have become almost, have become deathly ill on it, but have survived it. But still, we're looking at just numbers at this point in time. It, it's not like the Black Plague at this point. So no. people say, look, if we knew there were some ways to mitigate it, if you do get it, and right. stem the symptoms so they didn't have to become afraid of it. They don't want to think of themselves with clogged lungs in a hospital, no less being put on a ventilator. And right. this is the trippy part of the conversation because you came across something that was interesting, which was, for some reason, smokers didn't seem to be as adversely affected it's like what? <laughs> right if it were a lung disease you'd think that smokers by far would be overrepresented it turns out in this COVID-19 virus they're way under represented literally in France 25 percent of the population smokes and only five percent were involved in serious hospitalization and death and one begins to wonder wait Smoking actually helps you with a respiratory disease. Well, we already know it's not a respiratory disease. We already know at foundation it is a blood and immune disease. So we start looking there, then we get the answer. Nicotine in cigarettes binds to the ACE2 receptor that that virus binds to to get its entry into the cell, to make the attachment and entry into the cell. So it's kicking the virus out and out-competing it and nicotine also creates that anti-inflammatory response because of the way it binds to these receptors. We'd originally, remember, you, uh, Regina, we talked about ibuprofen. People are saying, don't take ibuprofen. It limits your immune response. Turns out it's the opposite. Ibuprofen also tends to bind to these kinds of uh, responses. That's how it gets its anti-inflammatory effect. Yes, it does depress the immune response. But in this case, an overactive immune response is more dangerous than a depressed immune response. Now, vitamin D is great because it doesn't do either. It doesn't depress the immune response, right? So your body can be active, uh, but it regulates that out-of-control immune response. So it's m far preferable to both. But, you know, there are alternatives. Uh, there, now is studies on CBD doing a similar effect. And uh, uh, cytosine, which is a natural uh, smoking uh, Smoking, when you try to go off your smoking program, that kind of thing is also out there. There have not been studies on these, but at least that one gets at the attachment you know, uh, site and limits the effectiveness of, of COVID-19 in that. Well, yeah, when you first told me you had run across these articles that smokers didn't appear statistically not to be as affected, um, my first thought was, well, what about doing, what about having a nicotine patch around then if you happen to end up with COVID? Um, and so that cytosine is what you were talking about a moment ago. Explain again what that is. It's kind of like a nicotine patch, but natural. It's it's a, a nicotinoid or whatever you want to talk about. It's a naturally derived from a plant, but it has the same kind of receptors and attaches to the same sites as nicotine does. And cytosine has been used in this product called Crave, C-R-A-V-V, in Canada at about a tenth the cost and about half the time of these nicotine replacement programs and has been more about twice as successful. So it's a, it's a natural alternative that attaches it. Yes, you could have a nicotine patch. Of course, it would be better than smoking if you had to use nicotine. But again, that nicotine goes into your system, creates anti-inflammatory effects, and connects to those receptors out-competing the COVID-19 virus. So yes, those, those appear to be at least suggested. 
again, clinical trials and, and going through the rigmarole is, it, you know, you can't conclusively say it, but it, it appears to be suggested by this. And I want to say one more thing. They, they're talking about, oh, no, that's just, you know, those are not science yet. And yet the same people, the CDC and these drug companies that are trying to create a vaccine are going past animal studies, racing through things. I don't even know. I think they're trying to do placebo, but I'm not sure they're necessarily required to. And the way they have of judging whether someone dies from COVID is if it seems to be involved at all, throw it in there. If you have a test or don't have a test, doesn't matter. If your clinical judgment says, put down COVID-19 as the cause of death. And when it comes to, to, to doing the COVID-19 and their own drugs, they seem to have absolutely, the sky's the limit. You do whatever you want. Well, it's but not when, regulated, right? Yeah, it's almost completely unregulated. When it comes to these low-cost, effective, highly indicated, highly correlated uh, interventions like, uh, you know, like, a, like a cytosine or a CBD or vitamin D or vitamin C, all of a sudden everybody's up and, oh, you have to wait for the big you know, study on those. We've had decades of studies that show that these things work. Not with this particular virus, but you know, in functions that this virus has. And they don't have the danger and they don't have the cost, so what would be the harm? Well, that's true. And because of that, there isn't the money involved to do the studies. There's no incentive. You're not going to make billions of dollars off of the truth nope. of that study. So in this sense, we're not making any recommendations here. None of mm -hmm. this is to be construed as medical advice. But what you just said uh, makes sense. It's like, hey, if, if it's possible that this is the way it functions and it does no harm, it's not addictive, um, you don't need a prescription for it. Believe people to get their own vitamin C, their own vitamin D, their own zinc. And what if you had a nicotine patch around? This is not medical advice. It's just an idea about how this thing, this all works together so we can empower ourselves because nobody's going to help us on this one. The medical right. is not going to help us on this one. We have to help ourselves and one another. So now right. and I want to clarify that too. Nicotine is highly addictive. Apparently even more highly addictive oh, yeah. than heroin. Nicotine, and it has withdrawal yes. symptoms. <laughs> I was talking about vitamin D in the no, let's try not, try not to, you know, try to use alternatives to nicotine, especially if cat cannabinoids and other less addictive exactly. aspects work. I just wanted to clarify that. Yes, please do. And uh, talk about the cannabinoids for just a moment because I want to go on to the vaccines themselves because this is actually where we have to start making some decisions coming up by the fall most likely or certainly right. January because our president has told us that those vaccines are coming soon, sooner than they should. Right. And, uh, and we'll talk about that. But the cannabinoids also, I think, have a me mechanism that is close to that nicotinid receptor yeah. type of, uh, I think that the, the research is very preliminary, but it is, there's a couple of Canadian scientists that have very promising results in that direction. So CBD looks to have promise. It's not at this point confirmed. Again, I can put, uh, I'm going to do a, another video where I will put all the re references on there about the nature of this virus and, and, these, and these aspects of it. Yes, and you already have um, the links available, so we have that. Let's talk about the vaccine now because um, I cannot imagine, when you, when you were looking into some of the components of the vaccine that Moderna is working with, which Fauci has invested in along with Gates and others, right? Mm -hmm. is, Gates in, is Gates invested in Moderna or is it another one? 
Do you recall? I think that Moderna was on his board or he was on their board. He is on their board. Okay. Anyway, I mean, they're all involved. They all but stand I'm not sure on that. Yeah. Okay. They all stand to profit from vaccines because a bunch of them are rushing to market. Trump's kind of saying, hey, whoever gets there first, you get the money. Uh, and you can all share. Not more than that. He said the first four will get there. We're going to fund them all and manufacture all of them in his Operation Warp Speed. And we're going to have the military deliver them. So, you know, he does a lot of talking out his, you know, behind. But so, you know, we don't know what's going. But that that is and proposed at this point. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. So the problem to me is if you have a vaccine that has some of the same elements as what you're finding in COVID, which is, as we're looking at now, very, very likely lab made with gain of function, how can having any of that in a vaccine be friendly to the human body? I mean, to me, that's actually terrifying to put that cut. I call it a Franken flu, call it a Franken vaccine in the human body. Well, what you're doing, and again, I say this as a person who got an undergraduate in biology and worked in the physiological chemistry lab, as well as getting a PhD in cultural foundations of education. When you put something that complicated into your body, we already talked about the complicated nature of the virus itself. We already know from past research that vaccines, in particular vaccines around coronaviruses and around, uh, in particular, dengue, HIV, coronaviruses, and I think there are a couple others, okay? Um, Zika virus is another one, that they actually can create something called an antibody-dependent enhancement of your disease. Something about these things being put in in a vaccine or you even sometimes catching the disease itself sets you up to have a stronger reaction than actually makes the disease worse in the future. It's, 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 a, it's a remarkable uh, kind of turnabout, and it's only been recently really explored in, in more depth. So essentially, but, if you have this in your body, it makes you vo- more vulnerable to future COVIDs, flus, etc. Right. There was, a, there was an NIH paper that showed that between, I think it was 1980s and to the early 2000s, that the elderly flu vaccine rate went up from 15 to 20%, almost four times that to 65% in the US. And at the same time, flu mortality or flu death rate also went up. Now, obviously, if the vaccine is supposed to protect you, you shouldn't have more people dying, right? What they found is that these flu vaccines may protect you in a particular season, but if you keep taking them, your immune system starts to go down. And this is not just for elderly, but for kids, to the point where one clinic, Marshfield Clinic said, basically, we, even if you've had a vaccine within the last five years, it's going to affect and make your immune system less functional for a particular new virus. And can you imagine if we put this vaccine with all the Frankenflu-y stuff in, how much more vulnerable it would make us for a, another coming pandemic. Oh yeah, that's it's the part of it. Everybody taking it in the world like Bill Gates wants. How many millions of people could have that enhanced disease 
that actually aids that future virus and destroying your body and having massive death. This happened in a dengue virus uh, vaccine that they tried on the children of the Philippines. Remember now, the children, there's only a handful of children the whole world over, and I think a lot of that is vitamin D deficiency, that have been killed by this virus. Literally, they have a greater chance of being struck by lightning. Thank heavens this is the case. But with only a few hundred thousand people given this vaccine in the Philippines, 600 of them died Yeah, because of that response. Once they got the vaccine, everything was great. And then they met it in the wild and 600 out of that couple hundred thousand died. Could you imagine that kind of proportion when you put 7 billion or even several hundred million people in line? Oh yeah, I mean, this is the part. Yeah, we're only part way through this. I mean, right now we've been through the first wave of the physical effects and the whole, all the governments of the world trying to figure out how you contend with it, how you stop the spread, economy shutting down, cranking them back up. Then we're faced with the notion of the vaccine. And that to me is the important part of this conversation. And I just want to mention um, Dr. Sue Humphreys. You can find her on YouTube. She did a talk about... Um, vaccines and smallpox, the history of it from the 1700s through, I believe, 1985 or 90s, something like that. Um, it's really important that we watch this because the one thing that comes up over again, over and over again, is when people say, well, wait a minute, what about smallpox? More people would have died without the smallpox vaccine. She went into that in depth and uh, into a community in England, Leicester in England, where they were vaccinating these little children with the smallpox and they were having quite a high instance of it. The parents got together, and this is in a time when this was in the 1800s, mid 1800s, to late 1800s, they band together and they refused to have their children vaccinated. These parents had their properties taken away. They were thrown in prison. The prison was so full it couldn't contain all of the uh, guilty, which were the parents trying to protect their children because they were watching what happened after the vaccines in prior years. And what happened is then once the vaccines weren't administered, you start seeing the rate of smallpox diving again. We've been fed a load this whole time, just a real crock of bull. And I think it's time we start getting very active and many, many other people have been out there trying to tell the truth about vaccines for a long time. Right, and I'm a middle vaxxer. And I was gonna say, and I'm a middle middle vaxxer. And I'm saying, if you do them in small batches without all the junk in them, they can have some putative role or what, what uh, Judy Mikovits would call immune therapy, because it can educate your body, right, to handle a virus in a certain more, you know, attenuated or weakened form before it hits you. But there are serious risks there. Yeah. All the junk that they're pouring in your body can create this inflammatory response. After you get the virus, it can create all kinds of health problems. It can set you up for the next pandemic, as we talked about, right? It, uh, it can also help shed, uh, shed viruses asymptomatically. It can actually help create the disease and has in the past created the very disease it was meant to prevent. So these are all risks and they try to make sure that no one gets their hands on this. They won't even let you read the risks associated with the vaccine. The doctors have been instructed to keep you away from that. Now, I think um, like with my own son, we use an alternative schedule and a selective schedule. We read all those ingredients. We found the small batches because we were moving to the Philippines where you need some vaccines to protect against some real diseases. We tried to eliminate the uh, unnecessary ones. 
We staggered them out. We didn't put all the shots together. We did what we could, and we tried to limit the ones to the ones that are the most necessary instead of they're just trying to throw everything at you now. So yeah. there is a way to handle this to limit the load on your body. Remember, that's the real game here, okay? Eliminate what's unnecessary. Stagger out any kind of insult on your body so your body can get used to and handle these things. And then put a lot of the, remove a lot of the pollutants like electronic pollutants, bad food and everything, all the things that weaken your body, get rid of them. <laughs> and the things that enhance vitamin D, vitamin C, and these other things that have been proven through science to have a beneficial effect, you bring those in. You create a holistic system that allows your body to be much stronger to handle whatever comes to its, in, into its realm. Yeah, and I did research on uh, these things, uh, gosh, I have a number of times through the last 15 years, and the notion of what happens with vaccines, flu vaccines in particular, and I think another thing to note is that whatever is whatever uh, a particular drug company comes up with uh, to you know hoist on the foist on the American and European well actually the public globally these are multinational corporations the problem with flu vaccines is by the following year that flu strain really isn't there anymore they mutate so you know it's hard it's hard for a person to know what kind of decision to make in the face of something like my father now, my father used to get the flu. He started getting flu vaccines, and for some reason, hasn't had the flu in the last 20 years. Now, he's, he's 90 years old. So, I mean, how, when, you, when people are faced with that kind of evidence, too, it becomes very confusing. So we have to right. go with the best guess, the best educated guess we can possibly make. So what, what is your comment on that? Well, I encourage people, especially people who really are interested in, in limiting the, 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 the risks and the, the, the clearly the health damaging effects of vaccines, and they don't want to get hysterical about it and just say no to everything. I, I, I gave a kind of novel response to that. I said, listen, look up the ingredients in the vaccine. If, they, if you have a known allergy to them, okay, um, that could provide a medical reason not to take it because the CDC itself says do not take, for instance, the hepatitis B vaccine if you're allergic to yeast or any of the ingredients in this. So that provides a medical reason if you were strenuously object and you think the risks outweigh the benefits you personally to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be forced to damage my body. I got a skin test, I'm allergic to this ingredient, etc. You know, I'm doing the best to keep myself healthy. Um, to keep my own immune system up so I'm not going to be spreading it to other people. Uh, I'm not just being a free rider in, in the herd immunity of other people. We really have to learn to take what I say the internal approach. The internal approach is to enhance the immune system's ability to discern and respond in a strong and wholesome way versus the external approach, which is get some drug shot into you or some food shoved into your mouth that's supposed to somehow do it all for you. Your body is a complex, holistic system, and you are the best expert on that. That's why we're not giving you guys advice. <laughs> you are a unique person. Use this knowledge to begin to go through and do the study yourself and adapt it to your own particular body. I just read to you this, this article from Harper's Magazine recently about this woman who had gotten these breast implants and she knew they were the things that were creating, she started using a cane, she started getting migraines, she, her whole body was breaking down, 
And all these doctors just laughed at her. And when she asked for the records, they had destroyed the records. And literally, she had to, she had to, she had to pry it out of their mouths what the actual brand name product of that thing was, and then find a doctor through a torches process to take them out. And they came out, they were orange and had black specks on them. There was mold, there was contamination. She knew it from the get-go, and she did it from just uh, researching on the internet. And every expert was just laughing her off. That's the kind of activeness your audience needs, okay? That is what we to And you know something's wrong, you begin to look it up, and you don't accept no for an answer. You keep going until you find the solution. Absolutely. I mean, I really appreciate the amount of the amount of research you've done. I mean, we talk about it all the time. That's why I decided to share this with other people. A few people have commented, I wish I could be a fly on the wall and see what you and Zeus talk about. This is the stuff we're talking about all the time. <laughs> so we are sharing it because it matters. We're here to help facilitate questioning, help facilitate self-education as best as possible because we're very clear we are on our own. Now, if you, uh, depending on the state you're in, you can get medical exemptions. Every state's policies are a little bit different. Don't know if there's going to be a national policy overriding it. I don't think they're going to be mandated. Uh, vaccines will be mandated. Personally, I don't think that'll happen, but I think they may be, let's say, highly incentivized by mm -hmm. not allowing certain things to happen if you don't do it. We right. don't know what that's going to look like. We, we don't, we can't see the future yet, but all of this knowledge can help calm our fears so right. we know what we can do to prepare our bodies to be in the best possible condition to face anything that comes along. That's the point. I think it is. And what I put it as a kind of summary in, uh, on uh, my latest videos is this notion, here's what you have arrayed against you. On one side, you have fear. You have uh, fear oftentimes from the technocrats and the experts and, 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 and people saying, oh, you got to get this, you got to get this, you got to rely on us. You have ignorance, people who are basically just, even sometimes in the conspiracy community, they're just spinning these tales about whether or not 5G creates it and, you know, it, 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 whether it's a real coronavirus at all. And then you have uh, opportunism and control, where people are using the trauma created by this to advance a particular economic agenda or particular political agenda, oftentimes for the few over the many. How can we go against that very straightforwardly? From that few over the many, we have to be many addressing the few through community and through, instead of ignorance, awareness and knowledge, instead of fear, courage. The courage to stand up for yourself, the courage to stand with other people and say, the science is on our side. These studies show <laughs> that the risk of these vaccines can outstrip their benefits. I'm not doing this because I'm just doing conspiracy here. I'm not doing this because I have a religious problem. I have a medical scientific health problem with what you're doing. I will not injure myself, my children, or my community members by simply agreeing to something that I know will do harm. And I certainly won't do that if it's not adequately tested. So again, we can step up to the plate and work together in solidarity and across political lines, across ideological and cultural lines. In a lot of ways, I'm encouraged because this whole vaccine thing has brought together unlikely allies. And it's the yeah. bad guys have kind of had their unlikely allies too. 
what was it, the Trump, Pelosi, Trump, evil, access of evil that oh, did Yeah, we were listening to one show, and <laughs> the MD on that was uh, calling it the Pelosi Trump axis of evil when it comes to these vaccines and COVID. So right. That's the that's the phony. Yeah, that's the phony division between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. They're both part of an elite that's interested in increasing power and disempowering and controlling populations. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's simply what it appears that they're doing. They're not giving us a voice in our own policy making and research shows that. So let's go ahead and take on that responsibility, inform ourselves, don't give in to fear, and work with other people across these ideological and cultural lines to make sure the right thing gets done for us and our children and our future. Couldn't agree more, Zeus. Thank you so much for taking, I don't know, 10, 12 hours a day, however much you've been studying, uh, to find all these links. I mean, you are truly uh, probably the best researcher I have ever encountered. And uh, I, I can rely on you as a resource when it comes to something like this. And I'm very, very grateful for that. So everybody, again, um, this is not to be construed as medical advice. These are just pixels of information um, and you can do what you wish with them. So for now, Zeus, we're gonna go ahead and sign off and thank you until next time. Thank you, Regina. <laughs> Okay, everybody, to dig down a little bit further, you can go to Zeus's website at citizenzeus.com. You'll find a lot of the links that he's talking about and referred to there. You can also go to his YouTube channel, which is also called Citizen Zeus, to see the full-length um, videos he's done on these topics. So, again, thank you for your time, and until next time, thank you for joining us here on ReginaMeredith.com. <laughs>